You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. We are starting a study this morning in Colossians. We're calling it Life in Christ. We could have chosen a lot of different names for for the series uh, because in Colossians we see not only that our life is in Christ, but Christ is our life. Christ is our life. But I thought, well, two reasons for this, for this. Number one, full disclosure here, I was preparing for a Greek exegesis class in Colossians to teach at the seminary anyway, so, <laughs> so, so, so I'd done all this work, and I thought, well, maybe we could, maybe we could work it into some sermons. But, uh, but secondly, and maybe, maybe this should have been the first one, during a time like this, as, as James already even mentioned in, in his prayer, we just so much need to be pointed to Jesus. And this book of Colossians points us to Jesus perhaps like no other. It's, it's, really, an, it's really an amazing, amazing book. And so I, I hope you'll be blessed, as blessed through our study as, as I have been uh, by preparing for this study. People have a lot of different ways of identifying themselves, don't they? Uh, we use our family names. Uh, we use our nationalities sometimes, our occupations. Some people even a political party. Others by gender. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the most important key to your identity is your relationship with Him. I say most important because your eternal destiny actually hinges on that relationship. And that's probably why when Paul, in the passage that James read for us, begins this letter, he identifies everyone in relationship with Jesus Christ. He calls himself, for example, in verse 1, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He calls his co-worker, uh, Timothy, his brother, implied brother in Jesus Christ. He wasn't a literal brother, but a brother in Jesus Christ. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Saints and faithful brothers aren't two separate categories, by the way. But they are one in the same. Faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. All the believers in Christ, the faith, faithful ones, in Christ, their union with Christ. That's how they're identi identified. And then later on in the passage, he mentions Epaphras, who was the church planter. Uh, one of the things that amazes me about this book, this letter, is that Paul's never even visited Colossae. He doesn't know these people, and yet he writes this letter that's so wonderful and so intimate. But Epaphras was the connection point, and he calls him as well a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Well, as we delve into this text, uh, we're going to find out that this relationship, this relationship is based on the gospel. This is your most important relationship as well. You can identify yourself in any number of ways, but the Bible teaches us that in Christ, 
There's neither Jew nor Greek. Contextualize it in, in our country, and it would be black nor white, right? There's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. The, the, there is neither barbarian or Scythian. There is neither male nor female. But we are all one in Christ. That's what gives you your identity. The gospel. We could summarize the, the whole first eight verses with this one exclamation. Thank God for the gospel. We thank God for the gospel because the gospel is ultimate truth. If you're really going to have ultimate hope, you need to have that hope based on ultimate truth. Any message purporting to be good news is meaningless if it's not true. All such messages this book calls empty deceit in chapter 2. False teaching was a problem in Colossae as it has been in every age. But we need to focus our teaching, we need to focus our attention on the truth of the gospel. We here in the West live in a postmodern age where people are actually questioning, and I believe this is, this is uh, the, the enemy, Satan, that's behind this, that people even question the existence of truth. But over against that, our Lord Jesus Christ said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, Paul explains the content of this word of truth, the gospel, as he mentions in Colossians. But in Romans, he really goes out uh, into more detail in terms of what this word of truth, the content of the gospel is. And basically, what he says in Romans 1 is that the gospel entails the entire person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's why we could even go so far as to say that Christ is the gospel. Jesus Christ is the gospel. He is the good news. He is the one in whom we put our, our faith. In Corinthians, another letter of Paul, he boils down really what the heart of the gospel message is. And he boils it down to two things. That Christ died for your sins. And that Christ was raised from the dead. Now if you look at the passage in 1 Corinthians 15. He gives two proofs for, for each of those points. He says Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Proves it by the Bible. But he said but Christ died for our sins and he was buried. Okay? His burial was a truth of his, is a proof of his death. On the other hand on the resurrection... He was raised again from the dead, according to the scriptures. But also, a secondary proof is that he was seen by many witnesses. Uh, so, with apologies to any Trekkies out there, you have two, <laughs> two points with two proofs. And that's why you can live eternally and prosper, right? Um, the gospel is the, the word of truth. And, and any other gospel, Paul says in Galatians, is really no gospel at, at all. But I want you to see from the passage also that not only is the gospel the word of truth, but it is also the work 
of the triune God. It's, yes, it's mostly about Jesus Christ, but it's the work of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I counted seven references to the various persons of the Godhead in, in this text. Maybe you'll find more. Maybe I missed one. But there are at least seven here. And all three are active in the work of the gospel. The Father initiates the gospel by sending His Son, right? Jesus Christ, of course, His person and work, as we've already seen, is the gospel. And then the Holy Spirit applies the gospel to the life of the believer. Sometimes the, the work of the three persons of the Godhead has been described as, as like three members of a family buying a house, okay? So the Father chooses the house, uh, the Son buys the house, and the Holy Spirit lives in the house. Okay, now that's a very simple way, for example, for explaining to children. But remember, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in you. God the Father chose you from before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ redeemed you. Redeem means to buy. He bought you with his own precious blood. And now the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in, in your life. This is the full-orbed gospel that Paul is teaching and that we are believing. All of the Christian virtues are going to flow out of this gospel. And I'd like to walk you through how that happens in, in this text. Please understand that the statements in this section that we're about to read do not apply exclusively to the church at Colossae. They're much, much broader th than that. For example, everywhere that the gospel goes, it bears fruit and increases. When the gospel comes to us, it will do the same thing that it did 2,000 years ago, right? It will bear fruit in us. It will increase in us. And that's why we need to be so missional as a church, right? We need to be sending the gospel out so that it can bear fruit and it can increase, not only here in Tucson, but all over the world. This is what the gospel does. We see also in the text the famous Pauline triad, it has been called. I called it the Pauline triad one time in seminary and was corrected. No, Pauline's a girl's name. It's Pauline. It's like, okay, whatever. The, Paul, the Pauline triad of faith, hope, and love. Not just in Paul, but throughout the New Testament. You'll see these three together. Faith, hope, love. Most famously is in 1 Corinthians 13, the, the very last verse that says, And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest is love. What's unique about how they are presented, though, here in Colossians, is that we see how they are related. How hope and faith and love are, are all created. There's a logical progression here. We move from hope to faith to love. Look at the text again. I'd just like you to see this uh, so much as, as we're, as we're going, going through this. Uh, if, if you'll look in chapter 1, it says in verse 4, we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love that you have for all the saints. Why? Because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. So hope comes first. 
then faith, and then love comes out of that. Now, hope in the Bible is not mere optimism, right? Optimism comes from the word for optics, right? It, it has to do with how you see things. So you take the classic example of uh, an optimist will look at a glass of water and say the glass is half full. A pessimist will look at the same glass of water and say the glass is half empty. And then a free thinker will say, uh, well, the, gra- the glass is the wrong size. But <laughs> who's right? Well, they're all right. right? They're, they're, they're all right. They're just looking at it differently. That's what, what, uh, what optimism, optimism is. It's just a way of looking at things positively. And I'm all for positive thinking. I think positive thinking is great to the extent that it is biblical. Okay? For example, even in this very book of Colossians, as we get into chapter 3, we're told to set our minds on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Don't be setting your affection and your mind on the things of the earth. Set them on the things above. In Philippians, we're told, whatever is true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. So you see that there is a real positive thinking element involved in the, in the Christian life. But let's, let's be real. Not everything in life is positive. And if we emphasize positive thinking so much that we ignore everything negative in life, not, not only are we being hypocrites, are we being artificial, are we play-acting, but we're not being true to the Word of God. Sin is a real problem, and sin is not a positive. Sorry. It's not. It's, it's negative. And, and if all we do is talk about the positive things all the time, we're not teaching the whole counsel of God. Hope is not like that. Okay, Hope is not simply a way of looking at things. Hope in, in the Bible is a certain reality, a certainty. It's a certainty. Some of you know some Spanish. And uh, some of you speak Spanish fluently. Others of you uh, are thankful that you got through two years of it in high school. But, uh, but it's, it's instructive that in Spanish, the same word is used for hope and wait. Right? Esperar. You hope for something, and you wait for something. And I, I, think, I think that really gets us closer to what this biblical concept uh, of, of hope is. Sometimes we, we, use, the, uh, we use hope in, in a way that, that's just expressing a wish. You know, like people that live where, on the East Coast where I came from will say, I hope it doesn't rain today. Now, you don't say that because in Arizona, that's pretty much a certainty, right? But, um, but you, you're just hoping for something like, well, 
I'm wishing that, that this will happen. But that's not what biblical hope is. Biblical hope is indeed something that, that is certain. Listen to, to uh, Romans 8, 24 and 25. It says, in this hope we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Our hope is laid up for us in heaven. Uh, we don't possess it fully yet, but we most certainly will receive it. And that's when hope will become reality. Uh, you know, one of the reasons that the greatest is love, going back to the 1 Corinthians 13 passage, is because faith and hope are both temporary, right? One day our faith is going to turn to sight. One day our hope is going to turn to reality. But love endures forever. Well, Christian, your hope, your gospel hope, is sure and certain. It, it's not, it, it, it's not uh, just a, a wish, something that you're hoping will come true. But it really, really is there. And it really is true. Now, we're told in verses 4 and 5 that your faith in Jesus Christ is based on this hope. If you really believe in what God has prepared for you in heaven and what God has accomplished you, with you for Jesus Christ, that's when you put your faith, your faith in Him. Someone has, uh, well, on more than one occasion, someone has said to me something like this. Just because you believe the Bible, that doesn't make it true. And I like to respond I fully agree with you on that one. You're right about that. Believing something won't make it true. I don't believe the Bible to make it true. I believe it because it is true. Right? Uh, believing something, the believer's faith and the unbeliever's unbelief won't change the fact of our hope. Right? The hope is there. It's just how are we going to respond to, to that hope. And we are called... To believe. And we are in fact called into faith by Jesus Christ. Faith is only as good as its object. There's a, a guy down in Pensacola, Florida. Who was, uh, who was working on a roof. And the way they do there's asphalt shingle roofs there. They'll roll tar paper over the roof. Before you put the shingles down. And as he was walking along the edge of the roof. Uh, he stepped on. A part of the tar paper that didn't have any roof over it. Under it, rather. And, and uh, he wasn't hurt badly, but he was pretty embarrassed, you know, as he fell, fell to the ground. Well, friends, you can have all the faith in the world. But if there's not a solid foundation under that faith, it's not going to do you any good. It has to be based on something real. So that's why I say that faith flows out of hope. But love also flows out of this hope that we have. You can see this from the text again in verses 4 and 5. That love for other believers is a sign that we really have this hope that we, uh, that we profess and that we truly believe it. Uh, notice how this love is not something that we generate. It is produced by the Holy Spirit. If you could... 
Think of the Holy Spirit as this giant magnet, you know, that is attracting us to Christ. But you see, just as that magnet attracts us to Christ, others are being attracted to Christ as well. And as we're all attracted together to Christ, we're, we're bound together in love, as a loving community. This is the work that the Holy Spirit is doing, and it all comes through the gospel, through hope, through faith, and produces this love. All the other spiritual blessings that we enjoy in the Christian life come from the gospel as well. That's why in Ephesians 1, Paul wrote these words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing is yours in Jesus Christ. And as we come to the end of our study this morning, I just want us to, uh, I just want us to consider one of these great blessings. We've mentioned faith, we've mentioned hope, we've mentioned love, but our text also mentions in the salutation, grace and peace. Could we just focus in on that peace this morning? The peace, the peace of God. When, when the Bible speaks of peace, it, it undoubtedly has the, uh, the idea of the Hebrew, the Hebrew idea of peace, which is shalom. Okay? Shalom doesn't just mean an absence of war. Right? Shalom means an overall sense of, of well-being. And this overall sense of, of, of well-being is ours in Christ. The Bible tells us that if we are believing in Christ, we were justified by faith. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. One of the songs we sang this morning spoke of how we were enemies of God. We were actually God's enemy. I never felt like I was God's enemy, but I was. Because I was just, I was just for myself. But Christ came and took us who were God's enemies and made us into his friends. We'll talk about reconciliation a little bit later in this book. Peace with God. Peace with God. Of all the, uh, of all the beings in the universe that you want to be at peace with, you better be at peace with God, right? But friends... We even have more than peace with God. The Bible also tells us that we can have the very peace of God. Philippians 4, one of my favorite passages, says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here's the promise that goes with the command. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The, the picture there, remember Paul's in prison as he wrote both Colossians and Philippians. And the picture there is the Roman sentinel guard marching, right? Guarding your heart. 
the peace of God is marching around, guarding your heart from the panic attacks, from the arrows of the enemy that, that, will, that will, will come in. Don't you need that peace this morning? We all need it in so, to some extent. Because we're all feeling the turmoil of our times. We, we, we are, we're feeling it here at Holy Cross Church through the things that have happened in the past few months. We're, we're feeling it in this election season where, where the, there's so much vitriol uh, going back one direction and the other. Aren't you glad your hope's not in a political candidate, but in Christ? We're, we're seeing it with, with the racial tension. And yes, we, we, we all, I hope we all believe in racial equality and we want people to be rec reconciled. But what we're seeing out there is anything but reconciliation. We're seeing things being stirred up further. And it breaks our hearts. Maybe where you need the peace of God is in something much more personal this morning. Maybe it's in an area, a relationship in your own life and family. Maybe it's a particular struggle that you're going through in your own heart that, that you're not even really sharing with somebody else. Believe the gospel today, please. As we come to the Lord's table here in a few moments, I invite you to take all your worries and all, all, all your cares and all your fears and all your anxieties and anything that's disturbing the inner peace of God that you want in your life. To bring them, I invite you in Jesus' name to come bring them and lay them at the foot of the cross. And find in Him, in Christ, your peace.